Most bankers aren't ready to help you until after their third cup of coffee. But with Central National Bank's after-hours service, you don't have to wait for the bank lobby to open to get help. You can contact us from 6 to 8.30 in the morning or from 5 to 10 in the evening, and we'll connect you to a real, live, local person who can answer questions and fix problems seven days a week. Bank different. Bank central. Central National Bank. Member FDIC. Hey, everybody. Welcome to the Animation Conversation. I'm Rusty here with my co-host. What's up, party people? It's your old pal, F. Hey, everybody. Welcome back to the Animation Conversation with Rusty and... It's your old buddy, F. Hey, everybody. Hey, everybody. So, uh, yeah, this is uh, our first official episode. Welcome back to the semi-annual podcast conversation here. Uh, so today we're just gonna just kind of riff. We're gonna mainly just interview each other and kind of get a feel for why we love animation and cartoons so much. Uh, so uh, I'm gonna jump into some questions. I I, I kind of came up with a few questions to ask you because uh, I've interviewed you already once before with Mike, and now I get to kind of uh, ask you some questions that I might not have had ready at the time. You know, things that just came to mind. So uh, one of the I guess first questions that we could just jump straight into uh, to be real forward with it is how did you become interested in animation at all and what uh, what kind of inspired you to pursue animation like what brought on the love of cartoons and animation that you you so chose that as a profession that's a great question and I'd like to answer it by ignoring it entirely um I'd, I'd like to I'd like to say something before we begin because I find this interesting about our our little podcast. Oh yeah, yeah. Go here. ahead. Yeah, sorry, I kind of dived in a little too soon there. Yeah. <laughs> See, that's what you signed up for. That is that is the <laughs> difficult bastard. Hey, I love you it. Signed up for, and no, honestly, uh, what I what I want uh, people to understand, you and I don't know each other that well. Uh, other than some correspondence through social media and an interview yeah. on another podcast. <laughs> Uh, this is pretty much uh, as raw yeah. as it gets in learning another individual. Yeah. 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 We like, you know, you're never coming to my house. Um, I don't want you to know where I live. Uh, uh, I'm kidding. No, but we <laughs> like we. <laughs> this is this is not one of those situations where it's like, oh, two old pals get together and do a podcast like I barely know you. And that's what I think is going to be kind of interesting is we're. we're well, it gonna, is. It is interesting. We're not only going to. We're not only going to learn about animation, we're going to learn about each other. Yeah, which is great. Uh, I actually have experienced this phenomenon once before with uh, our uh, executive producer here, Mike. Uh, Me and Mike weren't old buddies, old pals, old friends. It was a social media. He had shot out a request looking for people to start podcasts. And I answered the call. And here we are a year and a half later with Bois. And uh, now he'll have uh, an executive production credit for, for our podcast, too, here. So it's uh, it's been an evolution for sure. He's a he's a good friend, I can say for sure. So oh, I, by the end well, of this, I'm sure in a year's time we'll uh, we'll be saying the same thing. Yeah, I well, and I could tell when I first <clears throat> when I first tune in the Bois podcast, I'd never heard it before. But um, you know, you guys were so nice the way you reached out on social media, and the second I started listening to the show. I'm like, oh, this is not some fly by night operation. These guys actually know what they're doing. 
Um, I listened to the whole show. It was or the appearance show. of, and, if nothing else, the appearance of. <laughs> well, what else matters? <laughs> you know, <laughs> fake um, it till you make it. Yeah. Exactly. Exactly. So, so yeah. I mean, I, I listened to the whole thing, and I'm like, wow, this is this is as legitimate as any other podcast. These guys know what they're doing. And you you really knew your stuff. And so by the time I got around to talking to you, it was talking to you. I'd already known a little bit about you and you knew a little bit about me through social media. But by the time we actually had a conversation, it was sort of like when when two dogs sniff each other's butts and they <laughs> you, you can sort of you can sort of sort of tell, you know, we sniffed each other's butts. And I sort of felt like right away. I'm like, oh, yeah, this is the guy I want to talk to some more. So it was literally by the end of that podcast. And if you haven't listened to it, I, I encourage everyone to look it up. By the end of the podcast, we're like, yeah, let's do a podcast together. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah, that's uh, that's pretty much the the bread and butter of it. Yeah, I I I I'd been looking for animators. I've been looking for people that were associated with King of the Hill, and they don't even really have to be associated with King of the Hill by the end of it all. Just people who are willing to have a conversation is is, is what was the goal, uh, and uh, you know, loosely yeah. based around King of the Hill. And uh, searching through Twitter, it generally when I, I see I see someone who's active that that's an industry professional that's active on social media that interacts with the audience. Those are the, the those are the people that generally are easy to talk to and uh, e easy to talk to. I mean by accessibility, they're they're accessible. And, uh, and I appreciate you taking the time to reach out and, uh, you even, uh, bobbled me for a little bit for uh, a couple of months with the holidays and everything. And you still took the time to reach out to me. Uh, even after I was probably so far down in your inbox from everything else, you even took the time to reach out to me and let me know that you were still wanting to be a part of the show. And, uh, uh, I appreciate that, and so that's 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 kind of brought us to the to the culmination of the animation conversation. And I wanted to kind of address yeah. the name real quick, so you could search the animation conversation, and you will find podcasts right now that are called the animation conversation, but they are dead podcasts. They are podcasts that no yeah. longer produce, and they are podcasts that uh, honestly. The name, the animation conversation, won't have any weight other than the weight that we give the name. So sorry to anybody that chose that name prior to our creation of this podcast, but we are the animation conversation. So there you go. That's right. We are, we are the animation conversation the, and yeah. you can find um, the or, or the animation conversation somewhere, somewhere else, but this is the uh -huh. animation podcast, uh, animation conversation. Yeah, podcast. And, and none of, none of those shows have me. So, and none of those nope. shows have you. No, neither. So they, that, that uh, actually, two industry professionals. That, that actually brings me to, you know, uh, when, when you mentioned uh, us doing the podcast together and King of the Hill and all that, you know, obviously you're super duper into King of the Hill, Absolutely. Uh, but I, I'm curious to know, I feel like everybody, oh no, wait, this is something I, I wanted to talk about first. One, like the reason it was so great that you reached out and the reason I made such an effort to like get back to you and stuff is one of the sort of particular um, uh, odors that is attached to animation, if I could make a, a really bad metaphor, is that, um, you know, for years and years and years, uh, as an industry veteran, we would work on these shows, they'd come out, and, you know, apart from getting ratings, we would have no idea what the audience reaction was. I've only been, I've only been like on, really actively on social media for about the past year. And my goodness, it has been amazing to hear from people like you and just 
random people uh, everywhere who have been like, oh my gosh, The Fairly Odd Parents changed my life, or oh my gosh, Invader Zim was the greatest show ever, or oh my gosh, we love my life as a teenage robot, you know, or, or even, and then even some of the shows that I didn't think anybody really cared that much about, I've had people uh, DM me on uh, Twitter and be like, Chug Zone was my absolute favorite thing ever, and you worked on it, and I just want you to know how much I appreciate it, and it's like, again, for someone my age, I'm I'm 52, when I you know, really started making my bones in the industry, there was no feedback like that. You know, you just had no idea. Oh, the absolutely. ratings came back and you were like, oh, look, we're getting decent ratings. That's nice. But there's there's no sort of human connection. So once I got into social media, got to, you know, meet people like you and other people that I've come into contact with on social media, it's it's just kind of amazing to be able to talk directly you know, to the people that I've been working for this whole time. Absolutely. You know? And, yeah. You know, that's so, great. That's, that, that, that's awesome. And it's funny that you mentioned that because, uh, this morning, my sister, uh, she listens to my King of the Hill podcast. She's probably one of the most faithful listeners that I have. My sister, she's a real bit, she's my younger sister, uh, uh, six years younger than me. And she's, you know, she's super, uh, super supportive of every creative endeavor I've ever decided to do ever in my life. If, if I've ever had a supporter bigger than her, uh, it'd be my mom. But other than that, you know, my sister's pretty diehard. So she texted to me this morning and she said uh, I just finished listening to the interview with F I finally got caught up she was a little bit behind she finally got caught up and uh, she said I listened to your interview with F because I've been talking uh, talking to her uh, about you and of course uh uh, getting some of her insights because she is one of my uh, my my backboards as far as my ideas and stuff right. like that. And I was kind of bouncing ideas off her about the animation conversation and stuff like that. Well, she had texted me this morning and said, you didn't tell me he worked on American Dragon. And uh, that was one of the shows that she really enjoyed. She really enjoyed American Dragon, but she also really enjoyed uh, uh, all, all, all three of the other ones that you did as far as Chalk Zone, My Life as a Teenage Robot, and Fairly Odd Parents, yeah. you know. Yeah, you know, we got to do a whole show someday on American Dragon because even though I did, I, I did do a long sort of Twitter thread about my experience with American Dragon. There are still more stories to tell, and that's that's one of the things you can expect from this uh, podcast. If you've enjoyed any of my, you know, deep dive uh, Twitter threads, you're you're still going to want to listen to this because I'm going to go into details here that I couldn't have gone into there, but. Yeah, again, you know, this this business of being able to sort of reach out and have one-on-one -on -one contact with uh, fans and, and people like you and whatnot, it's uh, it's just been a joy. And I, I want to thank everybody who's listening currently. And uh, Rusty and I have been working on this really hard, and we are devoted to bringing you something a little bit different, a little, little more, you know, hopefully nuanced and uh, something that uh you'll you'll enjoy for years and years to come but um absolutely i wanted to ask you i wanted to ask you okay you know obviously you're super into king of the hill but you're you're an encyclopedia of knowledge when it comes to animation and you're you know i realized that when we talked about doing the podcast you were like oh well i'm gonna hit the books and that that was the first thing you did but i could tell already even just in our first interview that you know way more about the process and about the industry and everything than most people do. What what got you into animation? Like, I'm going to assume that you probably liked cartoons as a kid. Yeah, but it, where it was, did the turning point come? Yeah, it was definitely uh, it was definitely cartoons as a kid. So. 
Uh, I'm a, I'm actually a British national. Since you're learning about me, that's something you can learn about me. I'm actually a British national. Uh, I still hold the. I'm, I'm I'm just a resident in the states. I'm not even a citizen. So, wow. uh, as a small child, uh, my great grandfather was born in 1903, and he was still alive when I was a kid. And uh, mm-hmm. so I used to go to his house, and uh, when we would go to his house, he always would put on Tom and Jerry. That was his big nice. thing was Tom and Jerry. And oh. uh, that's why uh, there was a question somebody had asked on the Twitter already. So we do have Twitter already set up for those of you that don't know. It's Animation Convo. So you can go over there and check us out. So there was uh, that, you know, uh, kind of just started the love of cartoons. It started with Tom and Jerry and just the simple cat and mouse uh to me it was the music it was the sounds it was just it was just everything and it didn't need dialogue it was just so entertaining and i never had to hear somebody speak and and that's really rare for kids these days you know like even when i was a kid growing up a lot of kids didn't like tom and jerry a lot of my friends didn't like the the cartoons that didn't have any speaking and things like that they wanted the they wanted the you know the action they wanted the the, you know they wanted the dialogue and uh the conversation and stuff but i didn't really care i really liked all the noises and the sounds and stuff that it made and I used to uh, imitate sounds and stuff in class when I was a kid I used to get in trouble all the time for making cartoon sounds and stuff Uh, yeah so I guess that's like the origin point is just being you know three four five six years old uh, at my grandpa's house watching you know Tom and Jerry with him it was just I don't know it was just one of those uh, really emotional memories you just I, I could just vividly remember sitting there watching some of the early uh Hanna-Barbera for those of you that don't know a lot of people don't know that Tom and Jerry is a Hanna-Barbera yeah. production uh yeah. one of their uh, very very first uh creations that really got them into the spotlight yeah. yeah it was in the same way that Snow White and the Seven Dwarfs was kind of the thing that created the Walt Disney studio like it yeah. was the success of that film upon which Walt built the empire. Oh, absolutely. And that's why I, I, I worked on the Disney studio lot for a few years and the main building, the, the like head, head, head building where all the super important people exist. It's got uh, a, a sculpture uh, on the, on the roof of it of the seven dwarfs holding up the ceiling or the, the roof of the building and Walt commissioned that specifically to sort of show, hey, these these are the ones who built this studio. Like, they held this up. And I thought that was really cool. And similarly, Tom and Jerry, you're right, that was Hanna-Barbera's, you know, that was that was their big, you know, sort of entry into the, the world of animation. Because, you know, at the time, uh, the, you know, there was Disney and Warner Brothers. And that was, you know, that was kind of it. it. And there were there were And they others, swallowed studios you know, whole, too. There's a lot of, like, I've been doing a lot of the history on it. And uh, if you had a studio, they were swallowing your studio whole. They, were, they, they, they swallowed yeah, studios yeah. left and right, and they captured literally some of the best early talent. The majority of the best early talent at some point or another was under Walt Disney's oh, yeah. regime. Yeah. Well, and what was cool about Hanna-Barbera, and, and, and by the way, I mean, Tom and Jerry, they're, they're you know, that's a cartoon that if you want to be an animator, you just have to watch them. You have to learn from oh, them. It's awesome. It's such a, a, and that, and again, that's, that's why, uh, when the question was asked on the Twitter, what is your, uh, you know, what is your favorite production studio? That's why Hanna-Barbera w- w- is my favorite production studio. Yeah. 
Well, that's that's completely understandable. And what's, you know, a, a lot of people will sort of um, point out that, you know, towards, uh, once you got into the late 70s and stuff, Hanna-Barbera was really churning out some stuff. But beforehand, they were, and, and by the way, they turned that around. And once Fred Cyber took over, they wound up doing some really, truly amazing stuff again. But uh, what a lot of people I don't feel like appreciate, and I, I this is one of the things that sticks out in my mind is, um, you know, like we just said, they were competing with Disney and Warner Brothers and and what Hanna-Barbera seemed to do is, you know, after they had sort of made their, you know, made their mark and everything, they sort of said, hey, we're going to do what these other studios aren't doing. And that was television. You know, everyone was like, oh, you can't, you can't do animation. You can't do a regular animated TV oh, they series. Ruled That's TV. Expensive. Yeah, they ruled TV. Yeah. Uh, Scooby-Doo, I mean... Yeah, and they they found a way to do it, um, you know, on a budget that you that could accommodate television. And you you know you have to hand it to them. They changed cartoons forever. I mean, especially with things like the Flintstones. Nobody had ever you know seen anything like that before. And yeah, absolutely, that was a prime time show. Yeah, and that's uh, and that's where my uh, my son actually is a huge Scooby Doo fan. So going back to like animation and, and love of animation, uh, my son is uh, encyclopedic knowledge of Scooby Doo. He could listen to the first few bits of dialogue and he knows the entire show. He knows he could tell you the plot. Wow. He could tell you who's this, who's that. And he has nicknames for wow. each episode too. He doesn't know what the actual <laughs> title of the episode is, but he's like, Oh, it's that, it's that ghost or it's this, this guy, right. or it's that guy. Wow. And that's for every, every version of Scooby, like every rendition of Scooby-Doo. He really, really loves Scooby. -Doo. <laughs> His nickname is Scoobers. He loves Scooby-Doo so much. So. Wow. That is crazy. See, I, I, you know, once I reached a certain age, uh, I sort of parted ways with Scooby-Doo. And, I, I, but I gotta say, I had no idea. Like, man, the, the Scooby-Doo fans, they are, they massive, are rabid. Massive. Uh, it's they, a massive they, fan base. It's insane how many people that Scooby-Doo, well, Scooby-Doo started, uh, my mom remembers watching Scooby-Doo as a kid in the, what was it, late 60s? And my son <laughs> is now... 12 in 2023 and that's a show that he watched as a kid too so it's just the the longevity yeah. of it is is it's timeless oh. a lot of those cartoons yeah. are timeless cartoons that could be watched in any generation and that's what's so beautiful about a lot of that production is around that time frame is you can go back and still watch these cartoons and they're still like you know relevant yeah. to little kids now, let me ask you this, and then after you answer this question, I promise I'll answer your question because okay. it pertains to the question you no, asked you're good. You're originally good. So, so, very, so very long ago. No, we're having a great when conversation. Did you understand, when did you understand the difference between cartoon animation? Uh, like when, when did it? Probably, probably around like preteen age. Probably around like eleven yeah. or twelve, I started getting interested. Uh, I was in taking art classes and stuff in school, you know. So I started getting interested in uh, like how 
Do they do this? Uh-uh. I, I knew it was hand drawn. I knew at that point. At that point, I understood the basic, you know, animation like a flip book and stuff like that. I understand like those basic right. kind of things. So I understood at that point that somebody's drawing thousands of drawings somewhere and doing this. Uh, as far mm-hmm. as like the equipment and the technology and stuff that's being used, I got really interested in some of that stuff uh, around. Uh, I guess the 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 early access to the internet. So about hmm. 2001, 2002, I was about 11 or 12 around that time. So around that time, right. uh, I now have information at my fingertips. So I'm looking up and researching all kinds of stuff that I now have information that I could look up for. So one of them was animation and I got to looking at, right. uh, all the early technologies like the, uh, theatre, uh, the, the, I don't know how to say it in Fran- French, but it just, it's optical theater in French, uh, mm-hmm. and I started looking at some of the early stuff and the early technologies. And it was just fascinating to me that these massive pieces of equipment that were mechanically operated was how they were, uh, projecting yeah. movies in these projectors. And you would go and you would spend money to sit there for three minutes and that was it. And then you would leave, you know? So it was like, yeah, it was yeah. crazy to think that it was such a, uh, a nuanced, fascinating piece of technology at the time that it came out that people would literally dress oh. up in like the highest fashion of the era and they would sit yeah. in these dark, damp, uh, you know, very, very rudimentary theaters and watch these little flip books is what they amounted to at the end yeah. of the day. These big, huge, yeah. sp- sp- you know, carousel-like things and it would spin yeah. and once it did its whole cycle it was over and you went home so I don't. Yeah. I got interested in that yeah. I guess yeah it's about my preteen age man and I started diving into uh, a lot of the a lot of the actual animators and, and what they were doing physically like what you had to do as far as drawing each drawing and then the cells and everything and then uh, and then actual film drawn animation uh, people drawing on the film and uh, I don't know. It was just, it was fascinating to me how fast it moved. Once it was, once yeah, the no, fire was lit in the late 1800s, by 1930, mm-hmm. you had a, you had, you had the technology pretty much set until computer animation. Right. Well, now see that, that's where it ties into my own, you know, the, the question you asked me earlier in my own experience, because, um, you know, you asked when I got interested in doing animation, yeah. you know, again, the first five or so years of five to 10 years of my life were spent, you know, not just watching cartoons. I would worship cartoons like yeah. And this was back in the day. And I I sort of weep for the fact that this kind of doesn't exist anymore. The whole getting up at the crack of dawn on Saturday morning and turning on the TV, uh, you know, waiting uh, for, you know, the, the test pattern to go away and for cartoons to begin. Like, Do they even market just, cartoons for Saturday morning anymore? Is that even like a thing that's even done in the industry? I don't even think, I uh, yeah. I, I, no, I don't think, I don't think anybody don't thinks think. in those terms. Yeah. Like nobody writes the show going, oh, you know, kids are, kids are going to be watching this on Saturday morning with a bowl of cereal. Because nobody watches is, like traditional TV anymore. It's on its way out period mm-hmm. anyway, with all yeah. of the, the, the social, with all these streaming sites, why would you wait till Saturday morning to watch cartoons when I could right. watch cartoons 24 exactly. seven and you could watch with HBO max and all of the stuff they have offered now too. You could literally yeah. watch uh, uh, almost 80 or 70, 80 to 70 years worth of cartoons and, and yeah, never, and never have to wait for Saturday morning. 
See, and that's and that's why it was that's why it was so special to me. I had yeah. to wait for it, and I had to, you know, I would anticipate it all week yeah, no, long. Same here. I, I grew and, up in that era too. Well, I mean, I didn't grow up in waiting for the TV uh, TV actually sure. to come on. We had yeah. a signal all the time, but uh, I remember waiting on Saturday morning, waking up as early as possible to catch the first cartoon that airs yeah. in the morning, kind of thing. You know, after the infomercials. See, See, and for me, I, I grew up in the 70s, and I'm, I'm very vocal about this. That For me, anyway, the 70s were friggin' horrible. Like, I hated I hated growing up in the 70s. They yeah. were, everything was, was tan corduroy, and, <laughs> yeah. and everyone was depressed, and everyone was bummed, and, you know, they're, they're just, they're, there wasn't a lot of optimism in the world, you know? Every, everyone was too busy trying to be groovy and I had no interest in being groovy. So for me, the anticipation of the Saturday morning cartoons starting was just, it was, you know, I, I would meditate them, uh, meditate on them all week long and then literally just worship at their altar when the, when they came on on Saturday mornings. And I really do believe that it's at some point I kept thinking if I watch these faithfully enough, I will become a cartoon and I'll get sucked into that world. I can leave the seventies uh, behind and I'll just, I'll become a cartoon character. Cause famously one of the, something, you know, one of the little traits I had, I'm sort of the original cosplayer because I was well known in my neighborhood growing up every day. I would dress up as a different cartoon character and I would stay in character all day. And um, one of my, you know, my, my parents uh, always used to love to tell the story um, we went on this camping trip and for the duration of that camping trip, I was underdog. That's just kind of all there was to it. Yeah. I was underdog. I see the campaign, and, uh, John Fountain, uh, revive, should, re should be able to revive, yes. uh, what is it? What's the hashtag? It's, uh, uh, let John Fountain reboot underdog. There you go. Hashtag y'all, go, y'all go just set that a fire. John Fountain reboot underdog. Sign, sign the petition. There you go. And anyway, um, we went on this camping trip. My parents set up our, our tents and everything like that. And we're this, you know, very standard issue, corn-fed, Midwestern, you know, golly gosh, Jeep type uh, little family. And we're going on our family camping trip. And then right next to our campsite, just a huge mass of Hells Angels set up. And they were hooting it up. And, and of course, to my parents, this was terrifying. And they were hooting it up and just, uh, you know, causing a ruckus, not doing anything, you know, bad per se, but just, yeah. you know, they scared my parents. So I did what any, you know, budding young uh, superhero would do. I put on my underdog costume and I went over to these guys and I'm about four years old. And I went over to the Hells Angels and my parents didn't see me walk away. Uh, they turned around at one moment and they're like, oh, my gosh, where's John? And they turn and look over and I'm over there telling the Hells Angels, hey, you guys better be good because I'm underdog. And if you're, <laughs> That's awesome. if you're naughty, I'll use my superpowers on you. And man, they loved it. They just thought that was the greatest thing ever. And by the way, you know, made peace between my family and the Hells Angels. That's awesome. But I, I remember, you know, they, they wound up sort of uh, interrogating me because they were so fascinated by this insane little kid who had walked over to their campsite. And I remember one of them asking me at one point, hey, so, you know, what do you want to be when you grow up? And I, this is the part that I absolutely clearly remember. I remember looking up at this big, burly Hells Angel and saying, I'm underdog. 
It's like, why are you asking me this stupid question? Yeah, like, is it obvious? I'm underdog. <laughs> yeah. I'm underdog. How, because how I was in full underdog regalia that I made myself. And I was like, how stupid are you for asking this question? Yeah. So that was, that was my relationship with cartoons for probably the first, you know, five, 10 years of my life. Now, fast forward, and I know this is a long story, but. No, you're good. Fast forward to watching a little show called The Wonderful World of Disney. And again, keep in mind, this was the 70s. This was before, you know, we were knocking on the door of the 80s. But this was before the internet. Yeah, this before was before ABC you could Kids. Just go look stuff yeah. Up. See, I was I was yeah. big on ABC Kids. Uh, so there's a uh, some YouTube guys out there that post a lot of VHS stuff, and uh, I'm mm. real big into watching a lot of that. It's just as background noise, and I'll put on. They'll have like whole blocks of like Saturday morning cartoons from like the '90s and stuff like that. And I just it just yeah. I don't know hearing uh, hearing one Saturday morning. They just I just love it so much. <laughs> yeah. yeah. So, so now the wonderful world of Disney was another sort of almost documentary style um, sh- Disney show that would air in prime time. And sometimes it would be like today we follow the life cycle of the banana slug or uh, yeah, yeah. today we see how, you know, walnuts are harvested. You know, it's just it was always a little bit of everything. And but they had an episode where, of course, you know, Walt hosted it where he's like, I'm going to show you how we make cartoons. And I was like, oh, this is fantastic because I had already, you know, decided at that point, you know, by this time I'm knocking on the door of 10 or so. And it's obvious that I'm not going to become a cartoon. So I figured the next best thing is to be a cartoonist. I'm like, oh, fantastic. Let's see how cartoons are made. And they show it and they show this poor, poor soul just doing page after page after page after page after page of drawings that looked really, really similar just to make Mickey Mouse do that. And I'm like, no, thank you. I'll have none of that. That looks way too hard. I want none of that. So despite the fact that, you know, heretofore, you know, my entire life, I was like, oh, I love cartoons. When I saw how they were actually made, I was like, oh, no, I want I want no part of that. So what I what I wound up focusing on was one of my favorite cartoons growing up was both cartoon and comic strip was Peanuts with Snoopy and Charlie oh, Brown. I love Peanuts. Yeah, that was one of my favorite cartoons. And, and I had sort of I had sort of figured out, oh, Charles Schultz, this guy, made this comic strip, and you know, based on the success of the comic strip, cartoons were made of it. So I was like, that's what I'm going to do. I'm going to create stuff, and I'll I'll do it through a comic strip. And when my comic strip is big and famous, an animation studio will animate this stuff for me and I'll never, you know, have to partake in any of it. Live vicariously so through an animator. For, <laughs> yeah. So for the for the next, you know, 20 something years, that was my attitude about animation. I still loved cartoons all through college. When I was in college, that's when stuff like Red and Stimpy and Rocco's Modern Life came oh, out. And beautiful, I was like, oh man, cartoons are getting stuff. good again. Because there was a whole bunch of garbage that came out in the 80s. That was that's where you had stuff like Rubik the Amazing Cube and yeah, you got all the toy. All it, of- it was all the uh, it was the big uh, marketing stuff. Once they realized they could sell toys to kids based on the cartoon yeah. shows, you got a lot of stuff. And there was some good ones that did come out of it, but of course there was a lot of crap. Sure. 
There was a lot of crap. Oh, Transformers. There was a, there was a Transformers lot of will be the one and, that I like out of that. Transformers is one of my favorite cartoons from that toy, toy cartoon era. I'm a really, really big fan of uh, the early CGI Beast Wars Transformers. That's probably mm. one of my favorite cartoons. I remember watching it on Fox Kids real early in the morning before I got on the school yeah. bus. See yeah. the the original the original G1 Transformers. Uh, that was I was I was at an age. It was probably around 1980s. 586 or whatever and i was about 15 or 16 when that came out and so you know at that age being being a teenager and running home to watch cartoons was just not something you wanted to advertise um so because you know <laughs> you're trying to get girls to notice you and that sort of thing and the last thing they want to hear about is you know this uh, episode where where megatron stole optimus prime's right arm you know that they, they just they're they're not interested in that. So I was watching that cartoon, but I was keeping it really on the down low. And the, the original Transformers was one of my favorite cartoons. And so my point is, I was still watching cartoons. I loved animation. I admired the hell out of the people who were involved in it. But for, you know, for many, many, many years, in fact, all through college, up until about the age of 25 or 26, I never aspired to have uh, anything to do with animation or cartoons at all. Yeah. And it, go ahead. No, no, I was just, I was just saying, yeah, I was just. Uh, so, yeah. so it wasn't until somewhere, uh, you know, somewhere around when I was probably like 25, 26, I was, I was getting ready to graduate from college. Yes. I was 26 when I graduated from college and um, there was a small production studio in my hometown of Kalamazoo and they did, you know, they, they would do the local commercials that you'd see with, you know, the, car dealerships and mattress uh, um, places and stuff like that. And they had a, they literally had a tiny corner in the back of their warehouse where they produced animation. And, um, you know, they had seen, by that time I had been doing a comic strip for the school, uh, for the, um, my college newspaper that had become sort of strangely popular around town. Like I, I was a local celebrity. So they, they saw that and they're like, Hey, do you want to, you know, do you want to do some character designs for us? And I was like, not really. And they're like, well, no, but here's what we're going to pay you. And again, for by Kalamazoo standards, you know, circa 1994 or whatever, 95, it was good money. So I was like, Oh yeah. Okay. I'll, I'll do some of that. And then I got in there and they're like, well, how would you like to make a little more money and do a little bit of animation? I was like, eh, maybe. And so, but bit by bit, uh, they kind of coaxed me into it. And then once I saw something that I had created move, that was it. That was yeah, it changed the water. Yeah. No, I can imagine like after, after swearing that you weren't going to do it because of all the work that it took, once you realized and got in there and did a little bit of it and saw one of your characters move. Yeah. I, I could, I could yeah. imagine that was like, it was like a almost uh I don't want to compare it to this, but probably almost like the birth of a child, how like emotional that yeah. moment might no. be. It's just like, this was a non living being on a screen that or, or on a piece of paper and now you see yeah. it and it's moving and it's breathing and it's emotional and that yeah i couldn't imagine that's crazy yeah that's great yeah no it was and and i didn't expect to have that reaction you know i i knew what it was gonna you know sort of wind up looking like but i didn't expect it, it was exactly what you thought what you mentioned and i didn't expect to have that reaction at all and 
you know, not just move, but speak and sing and dance and just all this kind of stuff. And so, you know, from from that point on, I was kind of, and by the way, this was at a time when comic strips, especially newspaper comics, they were on their way out. Yeah, you know, yeah. I had I had been doing a comic strip for a long time trying to get it syndicated. Nobody was syndicating anything new. And so I was like, well, shoot, you know, I'm about to be done with college and I got to have a job. So there are way worse things than, you know, sitting in the back of this warehouse of this uh, small production company doing little bits of animation. So that's how I fell into it. And I, I we'll go into a deeper dive one day because the story of how I went from that little warehouse to, you know, Disney is is kind of a tale in and of itself. Yeah, no, filled that, with yeah. All kinds of yeah, so there you go. Make but, sure you tune into the animation conversation because there's going to be deep dives and more. You're going to get behind yeah. the scenes industry stuff. So here yeah. we go. My my story of how I went from point A to, to point Z is so wrought with both tragedy and victories and all this stuff that for a while in the early aughts, I, I was spending a great deal of my time and mostly getting paid to go around from colleges, from college to college, giving lectures, basically just telling this story. Because it really is sort of a, a, a rags to riches kind of tale. Because I, you know, when I got into animation, everyone that I was sat next to at Klasky Chupo on the Wild Thornberries, that was my first big show. They had all either gone to, you know, CalArts or some other, you know, uh, Sheridan or really, really prestigious, you know, or, or even semi-prestigious yeah, animation colleges. And you I were didn't just, know those things even existed. And you were just coming in as Mr. Kalamazoo, just I, fresh off the boat. Yeah, I, fresh I off the boat. I was coming in as this horn shucking boon hick from the middle of nowhere. When I would tell people I was from Kalamazoo... <laughs> They'd be like, that's not a real place. I'm like, yes, it is. And by the way, so is Walla Walla, Washington and Cucamonga. So, um, <laughs> yeah. but yeah, I mean, I was placed with all these, with all these people who had gone to school for animation. So, you know, that's, that just kind of made my story that much more sort of inspirational. So yes, if you're listening and you're a student of animation, you're going to want to tune into this uh, show every single time, because eventually we will do a whole show where I tell that whole tale and, um, like I said, it's it was it was an amazing journey. So, yeah, these are the kind anyway. of conversations you're going to be able to find here on the Animation Conversations. So we're going to be doing this not just with uh, F here, but we're gonna I'm going to try to give uh, some really good interviews for you guys that are in a different light than than what some of these people are probably used to out of interviews. Because I'm not really uh, I'm not really concerned a lot with. What, I mean, I want to know what they've got going on, obviously, but I'm more interested in everybody's origin. I'm really because uh, we all come from somewhere. We all come from somebody and we all have a unique path on how we got to wherever we're at. Some some of us were uh, some of us were born uh, from means. Some of us weren't, you know, and it's just it's interesting to see, you know, how how people's pathways led them to where they're at and just like their creative processes and things like that. It just it's really fascinating to me. Um, a lot of these, a lot of the people that we're going to get to talk to and a lot of the things that they've created and how much of it I've consumed is, is, is what my, what blows my mind. It's like, man, I've almost watched everything that this guy's ever made. Like I've, you know, I've literally seen his entire career from start to finish through the eyes of his characters in animation. So, uh, you know, that, that's kind of stuff you're going to get here from the animation conversation for sure. Uh, I guess another question that I, I kind of had that was similar to, 
uh, like your origin point. So what were your, I don't want to do like top fives or nothing like that. Cause I think that's kind of, kind of silly, but what were your, like your, like, what are the, what are the cartoons that not only necessarily were your favorite because some of my things that are my favorites are not necessarily the most influential things. What was like your favorite cartoons? And then what was necessarily the one that was most influential to like your work and how you design characters? When when I'm asked that question, it's sort of like all roads lead to Bugs Bunny. Like Bug, Bugs, Bugs Bunny. Bunny is always for me, you know, Bugs Bunny is the goat. Chuck Jones, right? Is, um, isn't that Chuck Jones? Well, he was he was one of many. It was Chuck Jones, Fris Feeling, and a whole host of other directors. But Chuck Jones really Chuck Jones really made Bugs Bunny his, you know. I mean yeah. I I shouldn't put it like that, but he he put a spin on Bugs Bunny that was kind of all his own. And he was one of the, you know, he was one of those first sort of animation directors whose name was known. You know, you saw the name Chuck Jones and you're yeah. like, oh, there's Chuck Jones. Um, so, I mean, as a character, Bugs Bunny was just always, he was always hilarious. And I mean, prior to that, my favorite, as a little kid, my favorite cartoon character was Mickey Mouse. Because Mickey Mouse is, of course, delightful and accessible and, you know, really, really palatable. To, I have a quick question, uh, a, uh, a quick side caveat question about Mickey Mouse. Uh, how do yeah. you feel about uh, Mickey Mouse uh, coming up for his, uh, what do you call it, his release into the public domain next year? Oh, yeah. Um, well, I mean, <laughs> I can't possibly hope, I can't possibly not hope that Disney just somehow manages to retain the rights to it. It's, I feel it's like they're going to that... fight for it uh, in court, probably. And if they don't fight for it, uh, what do you feel about co-producing a horror movie uh, animated with Mickey Mouse? No, I'm just kidding. <laughs> yeah, I was, I, I'm just kidding. I'd never do it. Yeah, that's the thing. I mean, there's there's and and that's why it's funny that I'm sort of pushing to reboot Underdog is because I, I would almost always rather see people come up with something new than Absolutely. necessarily re reboot something that existed. But I you know, I I do feel like Underdog is due. Yeah. Well I personally Mouse, think that Mickey Mouse has enjoyed so many different incarnations, you know. Yeah. Even if he does go into the public domain, I don't know why anybody would necessarily want to do that. Yeah. And even if they wanted to do of um, you know, R rated parody or horror thing, it's like, let's face it, that kind of thing's already been done a million times. You know, yeah. it's all just been kind of in the underground realm. So yeah. you know, I, I Call, call me a shill, but I hope that they keep the rights to it. Um, yeah, uh, I'm, I'm, I could go either way. I don't really, I don't really care either way. I just think that they need to stop suing people that are making uh, fan stuff. I feel like the litigation on fan stuff sometimes is, uh, as long as, uh, I mean, I, I understand like new, 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 cre new things they create. They, they want control of and stuff like that. But as uh, Mickey Mouse is, you know, he's over a hundred years old nearly at this point, they've fought nail and tooth. So I, I feel like if there is a fan created thing, they've made a, you know, multiples of billions of dollars off of Mickey Mouse at this point. So if, if a fan was to create something and, and make a couple bucks off of it, them coming in and suing that person for more money than they even made off of it. I, I don't know. I, I, 
I feel like it stifles creativity and to to a, to a certain extent. Like the li- I under I, I totally agree with like the lifespan of someone's art and them being able to make a profit off of their art and other people not being able to profit off of their art. But at uh, at, at a certain point, how much money have you made? You know how much how much is other people's creativity being stifled because they want to because uh, they're wholly inspired by something that you did or something like that. I don't, I don't know. I feel like there's a, uh, a line at some point that it, it, it becomes like, okay, well, you know, we've made our entire, in, we made an entire industry off of this character and we've made all this money now, you know, it's kind of like with Nintendo too. Nintendo uh, stifles a lot of uh, fan created uh, modifications to their games as far as like uh, the modding community. They'll they'll mod some of their Pokemon games and stuff like that. And they were really, really big about suing and cease and desist letters and stuff like that. And I think it stifles like a, a younger generation because it's usually younger people that they see this old IP and they're like, well, I really like it, but I want to make it make it for me make it for this generation kind of thing and uh i feel like in the in the in the essence of creativity and uh nurturing creativity in young people i feel like like a lot of those things should be should be kind of modified maybe in in how the laws are written well but here's the thing well and you say the laws and that's what it really boils down to it has way less to do with the studio saying, we don't want anyone making fan cartoons. It's the way, this is how it was explained to me. So I could have this completely wrong, but the way it was Mm -hmm. explained to me was that if you own a property and somebody does either a parody or a fan film or anything like that, and they make money off it, they are suddenly in a legal position to claim ownership if you don't fight them. So it has way uh, more to do with yeah, the, the laws. legal system and the way copyrights are set up yeah. than anything else. I, I don't think it's necessarily yeah, which a lot of the copyright yeah, laws though. That's a conversation that we should have. That's definitely something that we should yeah. we should definitely have a conversation on. Uh, a lot of the copyright laws are lobbied by Disney lobby. So Disney sure. Disney has lobbied because a lot of the current like public domain laws because uh, it used to be, you know, X amount of years and then it just grew to where it's like 90 years now. And uh, that was, a lot of that was done by Disney lobbying to keep Mickey Mouse safe. Uh, that, right. that was that, that was pretty much a lot of the legislation that's currently on the books was in the effort to keep uh, Mickey Mouse from ever reaching the public domain. So I don't know. I think it'll be interesting to see what happens uh, with that. Yeah, that, that, We have to do it. We have to do a whole show just on that to be sure. Yeah, yeah, What's yeah. kind of interesting to, to sort of dovetail onto this onto this whole point is, um, you know, I re- recently made a decision to start uh, taking a bunch of the properties because, you know, I spent about 15 years in Los Angeles and I probably sold a half a dozen shows. I Sorry, I, I sold about six shows. Well, that is a half dozen. I sold six shows, created one pilot, got to storyboard on her, and then got to other various positions on on other things. And only one of those out of out of literally probably, you know, 50 or 60 things that I pitched, only one of them actually made it on the air. Now, um, that doesn't have really anything necessarily to do with the quality of my ideas as it does you know, they weren't right for the time or something else got picked up or whatever, whatever, whatever. But 
I've been sitting on all this stuff for, you know, the past, uh, you know, another 15 years or so or whatever. And I've been thinking to myself, you know, I've got I've got at least three or four of these show concepts that I've created that I really think are are worthy of an audience. And so I sort of decided to myself, do I want to be precious about these ideas or do I want to see the stories out there in the world? And I kind of decided I want to see the stories out there in the world. The rest of us do, too. And one of the things, yeah, one of the things I'm doing now is I'm using, again, I'm using social media to recruit other directors and other creators and other specifically young artists like me who had no actual work experience in the animation field and saying, here's my idea. Here's here's my, you know, concept. Take it, run with it. And let's let's get it out there. And yes, it's still going to say created by John Fountain, but I really sort of decided you know, I, I don't need to. I'm not Walt Disney. You know, I don't have a Mickey Mouse. So why do I need to be so precious about these characters? You know, why do yeah. I? It's much more important to me that the stories get out there because I think they're good stories than it is to, you know, worry about, well, what if they bastardize your idea? Or what if it's not as good if as it could have been if you would have just done it? Blah, blah, blah. Yeah. You know, I'm I'm kind of I've kind of reached a point where. I have so many ideas that I'm no longer afraid or no longer so incredibly protective. Like I'm not a helicopter parent to my, to my to properties ideas. anymore. Yeah, so yeah, yeah. that's, that's one of the things I've, I've become very interested in doing lately. You know, I'm a, uh, uh, it's, you know, and well, we're it, it's interested a great position in it too. To be because <laughs> I don't need the money. I'm not out to like get rich off any of them. I'm not out even to necessarily make them a hit. I just want to tell the stories that I have. And this gives young animators and people who don't have any, who maybe have the passion and even have the skill, but don't have any, you know, real life work experience to take these things and get some real life work experience out of them. And that's, you know, people, one of the things when I said we were going to be recording this podcast, one of the things always people always want to know is how do I break in the industry? And unfortunately, one of the toughest hurdles to get over that is required to break into the industry is real life work experience. And it's the hardest thing to get because nobody wants to hire you yep. if you don't have any experience. And it's why when I moved to Los Angeles, even just having that rinky dink little, you it's know, still experience of the warehouse. Because well, that that's enough to help me break in. Yeah. That little corner of the warehouse that you're describing is how, all of the top like Walt Disney started in a little dank corner of a garage you know what I mean so like yeah. all of the top animation all started in some dark dank little room you know starting in yep. the 1800s with the early technologies and stuff so yeah you know the yeah. the best animation the best animation that we've experienced in life has all come from some guy that started sitting in a corner in some dark room so there yep. you go so if you're yeah. in your basement at your mom's house and you're an animator don't don't you know have faith <laughs> have faith in yourself well, again that's that's the thing we live in an age now where you know like i said i literally i took one of my most beloved properties today that i that i created and pitched and it almost got picked up at cartoon network where um i I just handed it off to a director today and i said can you can you realistically can you make this and she's like, yes. And I'm like, then go do it. And yeah, the artisan like world said, is crazy now with the internet. The, the artisanal world is, is and it's not just yeah. with, it's not just with animation in general. It's with 
all facets of everything in life. You've got a guy that I watch on YouTube that uh, does YouTube videos on uh, colonial living. He does all the mm-hmm. col- he does colonial cooking, and then you've got people yeah. who are, and this is guys that are like in their twenties. You know what I mean? Yeah. That are doing this stuff. Yeah. This isn't like sixty and seventy year old men that are doing some colonial stuff from stories they heard from their great great grandfather or something. You know, this is like kids that are doing this stuff, right. and, and it's great. I love it. I love that you could get studio quality productions from a group yes. of young 19, 20 year old kids that are just yeah. doing it from computers at home because they have had access to these technologies most of their lives. They've had, they like, there was animation app that my son was playing on tablets somewhere in like 2010 yeah. or 2011. And he mm-hmm. didn't, he wasn't interested in it, but I was just thinking in my, my mind, if he would have like took fire to that, like he has other hobbies, like yeah. he, he could have been, he could have been like almost a professional level animator by the time he even graduated high school. If he just did it every day, it's just insane that, uh, access that we have to all these things that necessarily wasn't available in, for earlier generations of kids. Yeah. Well, and that's, that's kind of why I I've decided that, uh, you know, that I, that I've sort of said, Oh wow. You know, this technology is sitting right in front of me. You know, why, why don't I let other people, because for me, it's it's never been about animation and it's never been about storyboarding. It's never been about directing. It's been about storytelling. You know, animation is the vessel with which I tell stories. But the story to me is the important part. You know, it's not it's not the, you know, the storyboarding process or the writing process or the drawing process. You know, you'll you'll hear me say time and time again that. You know, I I consider my drawing to be serviceable at best. Whenever I'm in a position to do so, I like to hire people who can draw much better than me. And that's a lot of people. And so now I've sort of decided, you know, the the story is what matters to me. So as long as people know that the story is coming from me, um, you know, why not take advantage of this technology that we have in front of us? Well, that's why the stories be told. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Well, that's why when you posited the question about one of your uh, personal IPs, you had said on Twitter, uh, should I shop it? Should I do an indie an- animated uh, with the, uh, you know, self-animated indie studio style? Or should I create a webcomic? And that's why I said mm-hmm. all three when I said what I said. I said all three. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and, yeah, and, and, and the reason why I said all three and uh, is because... You, you should like selling yourself short by putting all your eggs in one basket. I think, I think that having the web comic, having, uh, like some small animation done and then shopping all of those things out, I think would be, I think that is that, you know, cause you have the web comic, you have a little bit of animation already done for the show and then you shop it. And it, I feel like you, you know, that's, it's, uh, you couldn't go wrong. Here's, here's the thing though. And here's what I'm going to say to that, because yeah. it's funny you, you bring that up because, when I put that as an, cause I, I did a poll, you know, should I uh-huh. do it this, this way, this way, or this way. And when I put, pitch it around to the studios again, I put that on the poll sort of saying to myself, I'm not going to pitch anything to the studios again. Cause here's the thing. Um, and by the way, that one's losing by a mile. Oh the, yeah, it is. I saw how, I saw how unpopular that opinion was. Yeah. I spent, I spent a good 10 years of my life pitching stuff to the studios. And by the way, I'm not bitter about it. I'm not like, it was a great experience. I learned yeah. a lot from it. And it was in that environment, living in Los Angeles, literally driving from studio to studio, 
pitching shows, you know, one show getting this far, another show getting that far. It was a great experience. I loved it. And it put me in a place where I just kept having to come up with new ideas and create new stuff. And it was great. It was it was so invigorating and fun. But I'm past that point now. Yeah. The the development process, they call it development hell for a reason. You know, the development process within a studio, it takes forever. You don't make any money. And they try and they really, really, you know, mess with your with your IP. They mess with your story. And my feeling is, and and again, I have a great relationship with all the studios I worked for. You know, if I wanted to pitch something to Disney, I could pitch something to Disney. If I wanted to pitch something to Nickelodeon, I could do it like that. My feeling is I don't miss the pitching process anymore. Oh, absolutely. I, yeah. I miss the storytelling process. So I want to get my stories out there. Nickelodeon, Disney, Warner Brothers, they all know how to find me. If they're interested in my stuff, they'll see it on YouTube, they'll see it online, and they'll knock on my door. Oh, absolutely. And if they do, yeah, yeah, great. Yeah. And if they don't, what's what I'm really grateful for in, in this stage of my career is I don't need them. Um, I, I love them because I worked for all of them at one point or another, and I have nothing but sort of a good relationship with all of them. And obviously, if one of them came knocking on my door and we said, hey, we saw this, we think it's great, let's develop it, I'd be like, yeah, sure, let's do it. But I love being in a position where I can sort of dictate my own terms again because, like I said, I don't need it. Fair enough. Absolutely. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Fair enough. I, I can see that. And, and you know, your webcomic blows up, your uh, indie studio animated cartoon blows up, then, yeah, who if they don't come a-knocking, someone's coming a-knocking if it's that good of a, yeah. a good of a... Some studio well, or somebody will talk to you. Absolutely. Like I said... One of, one of the first things I'm, I'm going to do if my little sort of incubator project takes off is find someone to replace me. Because yeah. like I said, when it comes, what's important to me are the stories. So if the stories are out there, I'm happening. I, I'm happy. When it comes to absolutely everything else, I don't need to be famous. I don't need to have my name on absolutely, you know, everything. And goodness knows, um, you know, I don't need to be the one doing all the work. So like I said, I'm very happy to let other people, you know, take credit, take the bows and whatnot, as long as the stories are getting out there. Yeah, absolutely. And I'm I'm ready to see some of this stuff and uh, get to see some, you know, see some behind the scenes stuff on that and maybe even be involved in it. If you uh, if you need any involvement, I don't know what I would oh, do, yeah. but yeah, it's, <laughs> any, I, any, anything you need, no, I, uh, I'm, I'm, I'm here. Really, I'm a resource. I, I feel like between this this podcast and everyone that has reached out to me on social media and uh, the the sort of uh, everything that we're creating here, you know, the the world is going to be our oyster. And one of the things I want to do with this podcast is I want to do little animations of you and I uh, having these conversations. So I think that would be um, wonderful. Yeah, I think no. that would be great for the fans. That would yeah, be some right. uh, some good stuff for uh, the social medias and stuff. That'd be great for the TikToks. So I think I might save that for yeah. for the TikTok videos and uh, the YouTube shorts and stuff like that. I think that would be great for that. Uh, uh, in I got I got one more question uh, as we wind down. We've okay. got about ten or fifteen minutes so here left. Uh, so the the question that I have for you, and this is mainly for fans, uh, our our current fans and future fans. Uh, our Twitter analytics have been pretty pretty wild for a brand new Twitter. So like people are really tapping in, following, oh, checking yeah. everything out. People are really interested in uh, what, we're, what we both have to say. Uh, I've had a few of, 
uh, my fans from uh, Bois, uh, you can check that out, roguemedianetwork.com. It is B-W-A-A-A-K-O-T-H, Bois, King of the Hill. Uh, you can check that out over at roguemedianetwork.com, which is where we will also be at, uh, as well as on roguemedianetwork.com. But you'll be able to find us on all uh, social medias. I'll have a YouTube page for all of our videos and stuff once we get that far. But uh, my, la- my last uh, quick question here, or, you know, however long it takes to answer is uh, uh, what uh, advice, if you have any at all, for aspiring animators that want to break into the industry? And uh, what what words of advice do you have for, for, for young animators that you know, maybe they don't aspire to be a part of a major studio. What do you just? What advice do you have in general for anybody that that wants to be in animation? Well, like I said, one of the one of the toughest things there, there's two things. There's wanting to make cartoons, and there's wanting to be in the animation industry. Absolutely. If you want to be in the animation industry, job one. <laughs> Go on Twitter and look up my storyboarding tutorials and read them. Because even if, I don't care if you want to be a character designer, I don't want to care if you want to be a background designer. It that's, goes through the process. That's at Fountain Cartoons, right? At Fountain Cartoons. At Fountain Cartoon, I think. Cartoon. Um, well, just if you put cartoon and it doesn't pop up, put the S on there. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, at, it's, at, no, it's, it's I'm looking at it now. It's at Fountain Cartoon. There you go. At um, Fountain Cartoon. And just just do a search for storyboarding tutorial. I also do a t- did a, my first long form tutorial was on how to create and pitch a show. You should read that as well. Those should be your first two steps. Your your second step should be doing what I did, which is get some real world work experience. Now I'm creating an incubator system to sort of help people out. But if if you don't wind up working for me, you got to find somebody somebody who's going to give you some real work experience. So if your if your goal is the industry, then the first thing you need to get is some experience. And I hate to say it, but that probably involves working for free or working on stuff that's not very much fun or working on every town has a little production studio that does local commercials. Seek them out. Ask them if you can intern. Ask them if you can volunteer. Just just make it make yourself impossible to ignore. That's if you want to break into animation because once you once you get experience, once you get actual work experience and show that you can meet a deadline, you know, do the work that you were told, do revisions, all that stuff. Once you've proven that you can do that, you'll have a much easier time breaking into the actual industry. If what you want to do is make cartoons, just make them. Don't worry about the legalities of it. Don't be precious about it. Don't go, well, I'm on my 10th draft of my first script. No, don't be precious about it. Just do it. Do it. Get done. Pop it up there. I did that with my, you know, I had thought for years about doing a YouTube channel and I kept thinking, well, I should do it this way or I should do it that way. And and I spent so much time worrying about it that I was like, I'm never going to get this done because I'm overthinking it. I'm way too much up in my head. So I'm just going to create a YouTube channel, throw up whatever I got. Every now and then I'll put up something new. If it catches, it catches. If it doesn't, it doesn't. And that, that is if, if your goal is to make cartoons and, and it's all about just making the cartoons, just do it. Don't overthink it. Don't try and make it perfect. That is one of the biggest mistakes I see young creators making is they'll they'll contact me and they'll be like, well, you read my pitch. This is like my 10th draft and I'm trying to get it just right. 
And it's like, don't get it just right. Let yourself make mistakes. Well, Let I feel yourself... like I feel like a lot of that getting things right, you don't even know what you're doing to, to get exactly. it right. So just do, just do, and then see what happens as you do. You know, you got to do first exactly. to, to know where you're, where it's like a benchmark. You have to, yeah. you have to know where you're, you're at to see what you have to work on. So that's, that's that, that, you know, create with intention, but create, you know, create, just create, yeah. just do it. Just create. It's, it's why it's why. And this, this goes full circle. Uh, I was happy you wanted to do this podcast today because I was starting to get very much up in my head about, Ooh, the first one has to be perfect. No, it doesn't. Well, and that's <laughs> the thing the is, is it is perfect. It is perfect. It doesn't have to well, be, right. but it will be. You know, that's the thing is. It doesn't, uh, have, to be, th- it doesn't th- have to be slick. That's the thing. Yeah, yeah. It doesn't I've, have to be I've slick. I've, I frankly, I think a lot of people have had their fill of slick. And I, cer- I certainly know I have. I like stuff that's raw and dirty and, you know, not perfect and all that stuff. It's just, it's a lot easier to connect with because I'm not perfect. Well, that's one of the and, things that uh, me and Mike have kind of discovered uh, with each other doing our King of the Hill podcast is uh, yeah. through through our fan base, uh, they, they've let us know one of the things that they appreciate the most about me and Mike is the authenticity of the conversation yeah. and the, the feel of uh, the conversation because a lot of uh, – this is basically speaking to King of the Hill podcasts because there are a few in the atmosphere. Yeah. Uh, the ones that have – been and failed a lot of their uh failures were around authenticity or yeah. uh, some of them started and something happened in life and they had to end and i go back and i listen to their podcast yeah. and it was like well you were trying to force comedy on people and, and yeah. yep. it was like it was like it was a show about king of the hill but like 45 percent of it was the hosts trying to force their comedy on you and then they would use the last half of the show to discuss king of the hill so it was just there was there was a a lot of lack of authenticity and then you had uh in the king of the hill sphere you had pod you had hosts of the podcast that had no relation to the 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 texas thing you know they had no perspective from what it would be like to be a texans perspective of a show that was made about Texans. So that was one of the things that our fans tell us is the authenticity. So that was one of the reasons why like I, I've spitballed a podcast about animation. I've spitballed it to Mike a couple of times. I've spitballed it in my head a few times, but I never had a a guest that I thought would bring or a host, another co-host rather, not a guest. I never thought that I, I I never thought that I would be able to find a co-host that would bring a certain level of authenticity, not just the industry authenticity to it, like the industry part, but an authentic conversation like because because i could have anybody on the other end of a screen with me talking and i'm really good at talking to just about anybody at all on the other side of the screen or you know uh, face to face but it's the authenticity thing again you know we're we're from two different parts of the united states and the world but we come from a similar you know I don't live in a, like a super rural area, but I grew up in a country way and you grew up in a, a country way. So it's just the, the relatability I think is what yeah. I was looking for. And I was glad that, that we were able to have this rapport and get this thing finally kicked off. That's the first episode that we're, yeah. that we're on right now. Well, as, and, and let me say this to the, to the brand new listener and let's face it, that's all we have right now are brand new listeners. Uh, as, as God is my witness 
uh, I this is the promise I will make to you if you continue to listen to this uh, podcast. Uh, I will never, ever, ever prepare for this show in any capacity whatsoever. Um, <laughs> I'm never going to have stuff written down. I'm never going to write jokes. You're just now. Now, Mike, you're you're much more sort of studious than I am. So I'm happy that you're willing to be the guy to sort of do the research and do all that stuff. Rusty. Because I'm, I'm going to be the dancing monkey. You are never going to know what's going to come out of me, and I am never, ever going to prepare for this show. So what you're going to get is authentic Rusty and authentic F. Yeah, and, yeah, yeah. Uh, I, I think it's going to be a lot of fun. I am studious, yeah. I do uh, I do a lot of a lot of study. Uh, so what? another thing that you'll find as we're wrapping everything up, I'm going to go ahead and shout out all the social medias and everything. So another thing you'll find, uh, I don't do it every day because if I did it every day, then I won't have nothing for next year or the next year or the next year or the next year. Because uh, somebody, right. uh, my sister had actually mentioned to me that I had missed, it was like April 9th or April 10th. She said, how could you miss the Family Guy anniversary? You didn't mention the Family <laughs> Guy anniversary. And I was like, well, you know, I have a pretentious, uh, a, a kind of a, sorry, content, a, a, a a, a, a relationship of discontent with Seth MacFarlane. Uh, I love it. I love Family Guy. Love American Dad. But they canceled King of the Hill for the Cleveland show, and the Cleveland show was was <laughs> wow. It wasn't good. It was four That's seasons. Yeah, well, it was four seasons. They canceled a show that had been yeah. on the air with guaranteed success for twelve years. At that point, yeah, they let him run for one more season. They actually cut the back half of season 13 short and put four episodes of King of the Hill into syndication. Oh, so the season angry. finale of King of the Hill was thrown into syndication. It was never actually aired as a season finale. It was it, it was it was terrible. So oh, Rusty's, uh, I forgot Rusty's Family Guy. Angry, everybody do not. Yeah, I forgot Family Guy. <laughs> see, this is this is great because. One of the one of these days, I'll tell on the show my Seth MacFarlane story because I I have a couple of them, and um, uh, what's oh, what's interesting hear, yeah. is, and I'm gonna put this out there now, you know, on on my uh, Twitter interactions, I have made a point uh, of never ever 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 talking about stuff that I don't like. Uh, on Twitter, I will only ever talk about stuff that I like because the fact of the matter is, um. There's enough people talk on Twitter talking about what they don't like. Absolutely. You know, I just, it brings I positivity I to the space. Twitter yeah. Needs any more of that. But if you listen to this show, you will hear about some stuff in the animation world that I don't like. And uh, you can pretty much find me anywhere not liking things. Uh, I, I, <laughs> I'm one of those. Uh, well, and, I'm one of and those to sort of, to like sort of tease that, here's here, to sort of tease that thought, here's something I will say. Seth MacFarlane, the person, is a really nice guy. Oh, I can imagine he's a like just just from what you see of him in interviews and what you see of him uh, on shows he hosts, he just seems like to me he's like the modern day, probably nicer than this guy, but he just reminds me of like a Frank Sinatra, just like a really slick, yeah, like kind oh, guy. Though that's quantifiable. He's got an amazing voice. Yeah, love it. No, I but do love his voice. That, yeah, that, I love like I love of, I love his work. I'm not I'm not hating on him. American Dad or Family Guy. I love most of those shows, it, most of the early parts of those shows. And, uh, like, as you can see where, like, Seth MacFarlane probably, like, loses a bit of 
like, and it goes to like, oh, well, Fox is like, we want to, we want to shift this direction. You can kind of see that with like Family Guy and American Dad when they kind of shift a little bit for like, you know, for commercialization and commercial success. But I, I really, really don't like the Cleveland show at all. I'm I'm gonna save uh, my opinions on those individual shows there we for go. future. There we go. Episodes for episodes. of uh, the animation yeah. conversation because uh, I I have some interesting uh, some interesting thoughts on those. So and oh, you will I'm, only hear them here. You will only hear them here. You hear that? You will only hear them here. Or maybe we'll put them behind yep. a paywall. No, <laughs> not yet. We're not that far yet. <laughs> okay, so. Uh, I guess uh, you got anything to plug before we sign off? You got anything you want to shout out or anything? Anybody that's – any, like, young creators that are creating? I want to use this uh, – the last bit when we sign off for us to shout out or anything like that, anything that we've seen lately yeah. as far as, like, recent animation you've watched or comic. I, I don't want this to just solely – be about necessarily uh, it is called the animation conversation but i want to kind of group in uh you know comic books and video game animator well because video games is animation too so i want to kind of like loop in a little bit of those things too at the end when we're wrapping up like things that you've seen that are cool or shout out stuff yeah you know if you if you want to hear uh more about what i'm what i'm watching and what i'm into on a day-to-day basis uh uh, just go to at Fountain Cartoon on Twitter. Um, that's that's where literally every day I'm on there a thousand times a day, just kind of moving and shaking and trying to get stuff going, finding out what people are into, finding out what direction I should be going into next. Uh, I, I like to make myself really, really accessible. So yeah, just follow me at Fountain Cartoon. One of the ways that I'm trying to sort of um, launch these incubator projects that I'm trying to get going is through my YouTube channel. So if anybody wants to do me a great big favor and subscribe to at Fountains Pen Cartoons on YouTube, um, please just just like, share and subscribe, because that's where I'm going to be, you know, sort of hosting a lot of stuff, a lot of brand new stuff, not just by me, but of a lot of what I'm hoping will be, you know, young, new, undiscovered uh, talent. So, again, on Twitter, it's uh, at Fountain Cartoon and on YouTube, it's at Fountains Pen Cartoons. And, you know, with that, um, uh, I'm going to stop talking and I'm going to say, Rusty, this has been great. I can't wait to do more of these. Uh, And by the way, everybody. Uh, I, I've said this before, and I'm promising you this now. We have already got, if I'm not mistaken, at least the first two months worth of guests lined up, and they are A-listers. These are great guests you're going to be hearing, and what's going to be great Insane is saying guests. You're going to be mind blowing. You're going to be hearing A-list animation guests being interviewed by, you know, not just Rusty, but yours truly, who has worked with them before. So that's going to be a really interesting perspective. Yeah. So you'll have and you'll hope- you'll sat you'll have a bunch of uh, you'll have a listers. You'll have uh, you'll have yes. a list a uh, uh, list host, and then you'll have the Trailer Park's finest here interviewing <laughs> interviewing well, and some by of way, the we're, best. The guests are not just going to be they're not just going to be a listers or people that you've necessarily heard of. We've definitely got we've got names. We've got big names that are coming your way. People but you've we've heard also got of people that you probably we've also got people that you probably haven't heard of, but whose work you will be in awe of and that has uh, impacted your life. So, Oh yeah, for sure. Know. If you haven't heard of them specifically, you will have heard their voice. If you haven't yeah. heard their voice, you will know their work. And if you don't know right. their work, then you're just living in a rock. 
<laughs> so uh you know what i'm gonna i'm gonna let you take it from uh from here rusty that's uh that's all from me from me that's i want to thank this. everybody who has tuned in and listened um keep keep following us like share subscribe listen to the show uh that's it from me it's your old pal f zig zig ah party people yep uh we appreciate you guys watching listening and consuming the animation conversation uh stay tuned Hey guys, you can find us at Instagram and Twitter at Animation Convo. You can find us on YouTube at Animation Conversation. And you can email us at theanimationconversation at gmail.com. Join us again for another Animation Conversation. This podcast is produced by Rogue Media Network. This has been a Rogue Media Network production.